Good morning, everyone. This summer, we took our baby girl in for her one-year checkup at the pediatrician. We got her plenty of rest the night before, trying to make it a successful visit. We gave her some food before we went in, and she was generally pretty happy. Um, She's just learning to walk then, and she is having fun ripping up all the paper on the examination table and wobbling around that examination room. The doctor came in, and within a couple of minutes said, everything looks fine, she's doing really well, except you know that today is the day, he said, that she's due for her shots, yes, oh man, and that broke a dad's heart to hear that, right, to, to, to hear that there are going to be shots for his baby girl. Well, it was, a, uh, it was, it was kind of a heart-wrenching moment to watch her smile all the time as the doctor left and we waited for the nurse to come in. To watch her smile, run around the floor, wanted me to play chase with her, and I did, but on my heart, I knew what was coming, and she didn't. As the nurse came in, with what seemed like a handful of vaccines, there were only two, but to me, that was a lot, she said, the nurse said to me, she said, Dad, I want you to pick up your baby girl and to put her on the examination table. I want you to hold her down. And put your face right up next to hers so that she knows that you're there for her. And I reached down and picked up my baby girl and put her on the examination table, gently and firmly put my hands on her shoulders and leaned way in with a big smile. And she looked trustingly into my eyes. I thought to myself, why doesn't mom do this? (laughs) Why do I have to be the bad guy? And I think I hurt more in those moments before the shots than the shots actually hurt her. Because maybe you're a parent or maybe you're an owner of an animal, but you don't like to see your babies go through pain. How many of you have said something like this? I would rather God, God, I would rather go through the pain than my child. I heard somebody say this week, I'd rather go through the pain than my dog having to go through this treatment. Now multiply that feeling a thousand times and you might begin to understand the pain that Mary, the mother of Jesus, felt while she stood at that cross watching her baby that we celebrate at Christmas is born, the baby that she nursed, the baby that she had in her belly for nine months and that she raised, being put to death as a criminal, even though he had done nothing wrong. The scene is from John chapter 19. It's in your service folder. It's on page 8. Verse 25 says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister. We learn in another gospel account that this could, could perhaps be a woman named Salome, making John who we're going to learn later, his cousin, Jesus' cousin, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. A parent's deepest pain is to watch their child suffer. And it's not just taking the shots there at the examination table, but it hurts us on a parent on any level to watch our children suffer, doesn't it? Uh, To to watch our little boy uh, play baseball, bottom of the ninth, two outs, down by one, bases loaded, and to watch him strike out. Oh man, your heart goes out for your little guy. To watch your teenage girl heartbroken because he broke up with her, that jerk. 
Or maybe the pain is a long-suffering pain. Maybe it's watching a child grow up with a physical or mental disability. Maybe it's the pain of a parent watching their child struggle with unfulfilled dreams. Or maybe a believing parent watched their child struggle with faith. It hurts. And it hurt in a particular way for Mary to watch her son suffer in a particular way, a way that you and I have never suffered before, nor will we ever suffer. Jesus was suffering on two levels. Number one, he was being put to death as a marathon execution. The Roman cross was a method that they used to inflict a lot of pain and suffering before you finally died. Your body would work and work and work to try to keep air in your lungs, and then finally at the end you would suffocate. Jesus was in the middle of that when he speaks the next words that he speaks to Mary. And on top of that, the Bible says that Jesus is suffering a supernatural pain, and that is the pain of hell, because the Father has removed his presence from his Son, which is the very definition of hell, the God removing his presence from people. And it said, Later, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says that earlier, actually, on the cross. But here is what is amazing about it all. The whole time that Jesus is going through this intense suffering and pain, he actually takes time to take care of a very human basic need that his mother has. He provides long-term care for her by giving her community and a home and security And he also provides for her eternal security in that very moment. And as Mary, a mother, a parent, is is really wrestling with with this pain and suffering that she's going through, and she may not feel very blessed in the moment, even though 30 plus years before she said when she visited Elizabeth, she said, all generations will call me blessed. And Elizabeth even said, you're going to be called blessed among all women. At the cross, Mary might not feel very blessed, but here's the reality. She is being blessed at that cross, and she remained being blessed at that cross, even though it hurt to see her son go away, to see her son die. It was a couple days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to present him and to go through the rites, the celebration rites of the Jewish faith. And while they're at the temple, they're walking in, and this man named Simeon comes walking up to Mary out of nowhere, a total stranger. And he comes to her and looks at the baby and looks at Mary and he says this. He says, that baby boy that you have in your arms, he's destined to cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel. And he's going to be a sign that is spoken against. In other words, he's going to be hated on. And when he is, Simeon said, a sword will pierce through your soul too. Jesus was on a mission And the mission that he had would often break her heart because the mission that he had, the the baby that she gave birth to, was the baby that was called the Son of God. And the Son of God would say things throughout Mary's life, things like the 12-year-old Jesus at the temple when Mary was looking and Joseph was looking for him, and he said something to Mary. He said, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? Ouch! A sword went through her heart. Or later on when she asks Jesus, the grown-up, at a wedding to provide wine, he says, woman, don't you know that this is not yet my time? Ouch. This is the Son of God, my son. He's on a mission, and I could get my heart broke. Or when Jesus was in a house and his brothers and his mom thought that he had gone crazy, lost his mind, 
And they called him out and they said, we want to talk to you, Jesus. And, and what did Jesus say? Who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? These believers around me, those who, who listen and believe to, in my message, these are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. Now he's on the cross and Mary is heartbroken, but amid all of that, Jesus is, remains the obedient son that he, want, that he is to Mary. And so he says this next, As he suffers, he also supplies for sinners. He says in verse 26, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, John is writing and he often refers to himself uh, as the disciple Jesus loved. That's, just, that's not bragging, that's just saying they had a very close friendship. They were best friends, humanly speaking, nearby. He said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus provides long-term care by supplying for sinners, like Mary. Like a woman in the first century world, a widow who had no opportunities, or at least very little opportunities, to further herself or find long-term care. And look at the care that Jesus takes. He takes specific care and says, I want you in this home of John, and no other home, but I want him to take care of you. Maybe you're going through a season in life right now where you're looking for long-term care. Maybe you're looking for a place that fits all of your needs, a place that has maybe assisted living. Maybe you're a son or a daughter that's looking for a place for your parents that is good for them, that's close to home, that's near family, that has food maybe provided, or maybe it has assisted kitchens or, or whatever. You want the best for your family, and Jesus wants the best for his mom. He doesn't pick his brothers. Did you notice that? Because he does have brothers, James and Jude, his brothers, he doesn't pick them. And you wonder why. Well, Jesus is showing extreme care here in who he picks. His brothers at this time did not believe in Jesus. They weren't followers of Christ. But who was at the cross? John, his cousin, perhaps. Perhaps his cousin. He picks John and he says, I want that John, the one that's my best friend, to be the person in your life that I used to be because I'm going away. And he would. He would die, rise, and ascend into heaven. But even through his suffering and his intense pain that he's going through, he shows care to the sinner. He shows care to Mary. John would be to Mary what Jesus was to her. This 30-year-old friend would be a constant reminder to Mary of who Jesus was, the son that was taken away. And in fact, Jesus is blessing John at the same time. A best friend, is a, he's about to lose a best friend. And he says, son or brother, you're going to take my mom. Mary would be a constant reminder to John of Jesus' friendship in his life. Now let's take it home. If Jesus, dying on the cross, suffering intense levels of hell, cares enough to provide a home and community for his mom, how much more do you think your Savior cares for you and wants to provide for you a community, a home, relationships, whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you're a widow or a widower, to give you Christian community like you have right here? And God has put into your life the people that he wants in your life right now. And he's put you in that season in life to be a friend to other people. As God suffers for sinners, he supplies for sinners. I've heard it from this community that some people say, my church, my faith family is my family. 
And God has blessed you beyond your church family. He gives you relationships at work, and, and he gives you relationships and, and security outside of church as well. How much has he blessed you? If he can do it up from the cross through intense suffering, how much more can the risen Savior who's in heaven looking over all things give you true happiness and community with the people that he's put around you? I encourage you to pray and thank God for the people that he's put in your life to pray for the widows like Mary to find the community that God wants for them. Jesus supplies for sinners. He supplies for sinners in a second way. He supplies for us uh, sinners in an interesting way because as he's dying and going through the pains of, of being crucified, he's being the perfect sacrifice in our place. If Jesus would die for all of our sins, he would have to keep the laws perfectly, and he is keeping the laws perfectly here, because as he dies on the cross, he's keeping the fourth commandment. Does anybody remember what the fourth commandment is? Going back to some of your catechism days? It's the one that doesn't start with do not. It starts with honor. Yeah, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Jesus is honoring his mom. He's respecting her all the way to the end. And so when Isaiah writes something like a lamb led to the slaughter and this would be a perfect sacrifice, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and he's keeping the law for you and me, children who are disobedient to our parents. He's doing it perfectly all the way to the cross for the, the son and the daughter who, who speaks uh, disrespectfully to mom and dad, to the child who, is, who does the exact opposite of what their parents want them to do or ask them to do. He's keeping that commandment for you because he's making a sacrifice for you in your place. And he's making a sacrifice for you parents who maybe you haven't earned or you haven't earned the respect of your children because you've been hard-handed with them. Or maybe you as a parent have, have um, tried to manipulate their mind instead of grow their heart in the gospel and you need forgiveness and you need fourth commandment perfection, and Jesus is that fourth commandment perfection when he died on the cross. He kept the commandment and was the spotless Lamb of God without a sin, even to the end. Jesus supplies for sinners. He gives them community, and he gives them the perfect sacrifice. Verse 28, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. The hyssop plant was 12 to 18 inches, so that cross, it wasn't too high. It wasn't towering over everything. The father's deepest pain was to watch his child suffer. We have to ask the question, well, Jesus says everything had to be finished or everything has come to completion. And we're scratching our head and thinking, what has to come to completion? What had a beginning and now is coming to an end? What is finished, in other words? Well, let's go back to that, uh, that, that room where I was holding down my little baby girl. I was holding her down, looking her at her face to face, and I didn't have to watch because she screamed loud in my face and I could feel the heat of the scream and I felt the tears that ran down her cheeks and I wiped them off and I remained with her in that moment. As Jesus is suffering on the cross, there are people around him that are helping him suffer or at least supporting him, right? Mary, her friends, John, they're all standing by as he's suffering but there is some one person 
that is more important than all of them, and Jesus loved more than anyone around his cross, and that person was not at the cross. Jesus' Father had abandoned him at the cross. In other words, he wasn't face-to-face with Jesus like I was with Blythe. He stepped away and watched. This is a very disturbing way to look at it, but imagine for a moment that you, or maybe you parents, your oldest child, as a baby, you take them, put them in a car seat, put them in the car, roll the windows up in the middle of summer in Texas and leave them in an abandoned parking lot. And then you watched and didn't do anything, even though you're capable of helping. God hates sin as much as you hated that illustration. Because this is what sin does. Greed and envy and the thoughts of our hearts, those are seeds that start to break up relationships with other people. They're the seeds that start wars and terrorism. They're the seeds that, 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 cause, that cause people to be broken. And people are broken. Have you looked in the world today? God hates that. God created us for community. And God created us for number one community at the beginning. He created us to be perfect with Him in thought and word and action all the time. And God hates it that we're separated from Him. He hates it so much that He as a leader is going to do something about it. And He did did something about it. And as horrible as it sounds is He gave up His own life. At Christmas, He was born He took on flesh. He lived a life just like you and me. He went through all the same temptations. He had a mother and a father that he was completely obedient to all the time. At his work, he never cut corners. All of his thoughts and words and deeds were pure and holy all the time. And yet he went through everything that you and I did, all the fleshly temptations, so that when he got to the cross... He would take on all of our garbage, all of the sins, all of the times I as a disobedient child disrespected my parents, all the times as I as a parent or a leader led with envy or with greed or with with bad intentions. He's taken all of that away. And when God removed His presence and Jesus said on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God was putting the punishment for your sins and mine on the cross to bless us, to finish what we left undone. And so when Jesus says he knew that everything was finished, that means all of those sins were paid for. Whether you committed a capital offense or whether you had a bad thought or word or action against another person or against God, he paid for it forever for free on the cross. And so, here at the cross, Mary is having this deep remorse about what's happening to her son, but it's true, she's still blessed because Jesus not only provides for her a physical home with John, but he gives her something even more. He gives her forgiveness. He gives you forgiveness. He gives those little babies that came forward to be baptized forgiveness, and he gives you eternal life. Here's how, Jesus, uh, how this section ends and what Jesus says as he passes. Uh, verse 30, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. 
With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What is finished? All the scriptures are fulfilled. All the scriptures, that the Bible passages that had gone 100 years before him that said a Messiah is coming and he's going to die for the sins of the world. All of those are fulfilled in the cross. All of the, all of the prophecies are fulfilled. All of the forgiveness of sins is taken care of. And Jesus finally, it says, gave up his spirit. That's saying this. Jesus, as he cares for you with long-term care, as he gives you relationships, as he gives you community, but more importantly, as he gives you forgiveness, was in control the whole time. And he even took his own life because only God gives and only God can take life. And so this is the thought behind this, and this is kind of neat. This was, this was, a, this was a neat moment for me this week when I was looking at this text. Jesus gave up his own life. It wasn't the Jews that conspired against him. It wasn't the Roman government. It wasn't Caesar Augustus or his governor Pontius Pilate. None of those took his life. But it says right here, and in fact, in two other gospel accounts, it says the same thing, that he gave up his own spirit because he wanted to give you a gift at Christmas and his gift was his life in your place. He gave up his spirit and it says in John chapter 10, he's speaking about how he would give his life, and it says this. He says, No man taketh my life except for me. Jesus was in control as he cared for Mary, as he controls, he's in control as he cares for you and me. And later on, in that same breath in John chapter 10, he says, And no one can take my life, and I only have the power to take my life back. And that's exactly what he did three days later. He took his life back, just like he said he would, so that all of those that believe in him would also rise on the last day. In our community, we've had any number of people whose lives have been taken by God recently, right? Most recently, people like our brother Clint Rogus, um, Becky, uh, sorry, Rachel Gould. Uh, we have... Uh, Rob Baker, uh, uh, Ron Baker. We've had any number of people that whose lives have been taken by God, and God says, "On the last day, I'm going to raise those people up, and I only have the power to raise them up." And He says in John chapter ten, "I have the control over life, I have the control over death, and I'm going to raise them up on the last day." He gives you that promise, and He gives that promise to you because He's not just taking care of your short-term care, but he's taking care of your long-term care in heaven. Okay, there's one last thing I want us to look at. It's up on the screen. It should be the hymn that I would like to be played on my Christian victory service someday. And if the organist doesn't play it, then she's not getting compensated. I'm serious about this. This is a hymn called Christ Jesus Lay in Death's Strong Bands. And it speaks about this strange scene that's happening at the cross where death takes victory. And through Jesus' death, we have victory. We have the forgiveness of sins. The hymn is written by um, Martin Luther, and the music is, is put to a, a beautiful tune by Johann Sebastian Bach, if you're into classical music. But what's most touching to me about this hymn is that it preaches the victory, the final victory, which is really what Christmas is all about. Jesus' perfect gift underneath your tree and in your heart happened at the cross and it happened in his empty tomb. And so read with me this verse 
from Christ Jesus lay in death's strong bands. We read it together. It was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended. The victory remained with life. The reign of death was ended. Holy Scripture plainly says that death is swallowed up by death. Its sting is lost forever. Alleluia. God has covered your sins. He's covered your long-term needs. And He's covered your resurrection and your life forever in heaven. So all glory be to His name. Alleluia. Amen.